0: Apocalypse is generally understood to be a bad thing, right? And invoking a publishing apocalypse sounds offhand like a casually dire prognosis of the literary future. But not in the minds of Erica Lance and Valerie Willis of Four Horsemen Publications, the CEO and COO respectively of this independent publisher, join me today to discuss their philosophies as publishers and athletes, their stable of authors, their somewhat unique mission, and how their commitment to releasing series and focusing on so-called genre fiction promotes and benefits writers and audiences. In fact, that's probably the biggest takeaway you'll have, that Four Horsemen really cares about promoting and nurturing their authors and doing everything they can to boost their success. You'll also learn more about tacit divides in the Orlando literary scene, and literary scenes and publishing more generally, and you might hear a lot of names and entities that aren't familiar to you. But that should encourage you to research them further. And Erica's and Valerie's own work, you should research that further too because they are authors in their own rights. I'm Christopher Nank, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm here with Erica Lance and Valerie Willis, CEO and COO, respectively, of Four Horsemen Publications. They are also artists in their own right, and we will probably talk to them about that, too, at some point. So uh, welcome to the clubhouse.
1: Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Now, if you go to Four Horsemen Publications, to your website, uh, your mission statement, at least what I construe as your mission statement. Contains a lot of apocalyptic invocations and imagery, you know, the four horsemen. Obviously, it sort of lends itself to that kind of uh, aesthetic. But I assume it's all meant in a positive way, Uh, you know, for instance, in a genre sense that maybe, you know, one of the things I, I kind of construed was that maybe you want to bring the publishing apocalypse in a way by promoting and giving validation or visibility to genres or authors that might perhaps be otherwise you know marginalized in mainstream publishing. So I don't know. That that's that was the sense I got from um, just looking at your website and looking at some of the books you guys publish. So would that be, can you speak to that at all?
1: Ab- absolutely. So we came up with the name Four Horsemen Publications for that exact reason, because we're both published fiction authors. Um, I was with a very tiny press before, and Valerie was an independently published author. And one of the things is, is not just Having to do with authors' voices, which is huge. But the way the publishing industry is set up right now, for the most part, is not pro author or pro artist. It is mm. very much set up in a way to v- limit the success of most authors and also change their voice and change their stories. And there are a lot of authors that writes stories that would never be acknowledged by mainstream publishing because they cross genre barriers. And so um, mainstream publishing, for the most part, has boxes they want people to fit in. You have to fit in a hometown romance box, but you can't be a hometown romance With a cryptid, for instance, like we have a book called I'm in Love with Mothman. And it's a sweet romance about a girl who falls in love with the cryptid Mothman. And it's wildly popular, but most mainstream publishers would never touch that book in a million years because it doesn't fit in one of their boxes. And then you have very diverse authors. And believe it or not, most traditional publishers have a quota of diverse authors that they're supposed to bring and limit into their stable. So instead of looking at the authors directly and everything, we look at the stories and what do they want to tell and how do they want to tell it and do it in a way where we're also not changing their story. You'd be amazed how many authors will tell you that they got their book, but the publisher wanted to change the female lead to a male lead and they don't want it to take place in Chicago. They want it to take place in New York. And they want to change the ending because they don't like the ending and that you'd never do that to a, a, like a painter, for instance, who paints a beautiful sunset at the beach, you wouldn't go to the painter and go, I want to buy this, but I need you to change it to a forest scene um, in the morning. Like Hmm. that wouldn't happen. And we see that (laughs) with um, authors all the time. It's okay to do that to an author. So we knew that we needed to change that. So yes, we ingest, say, we're bringing the publishing apocalypse because the publishing industry has to change.
0: OK, wow. And and sort of relative to that, I've also um, noticed in your website, you uh, you mention, you know, that you're inclusive of many genres, like you're saying, but pointedly say not. And I'm putting this in little air quotes, literary. And I'm curious if you meant that in a specific way, because to me, I guess I've just personally understood all writing as being literary in some way. So I didn't know like what sort of distinction you might have been making in that regard.
2: Well, that's exactly it for um, even in the Orlando area. There's like a clear divide of who defines themselves as literary and then who Hmm. defines themselves as genre. And we wanted to get rid of that because it makes no sense. Because when you look at a lot of classical literary pieces, we're talking about you know, Frankenstein, which is the, you know, precursor to science fiction. We're looking at Jane Austen, who's the precursor to contemporary romance when it came out, but now, you know, more of a a genre in itself with a type of romance. And a lot of times, and a lot of even early on in the first year or two as a, a publisher, we hit a lot of walls where people were segregating literary from anything that was considered genre speculative fiction and it made no sense like at the end of the day you can write something that's very science fiction at the capacity i mean it is crazy to think they're separate Mm -hmm. even then we hyper focus like erica said we we enjoy seeing mixed genres we don't want you know, to fit in a single box a lot of times when we tell a story or have a story idea because our readers are fans of more than just one one vein, mm-hmm. right? So we wanted our books to match what readers are, are, are wanting as well as what authors want to write. And a lot of times as an author, we're writing the story we couldn't find on the bookshelf to begin with, you know, mm-hmm. so that's sort of the, the angle we went with We're we're not strictly literary. That doesn't mean we don't have literary. Uh, our author, Kathleen Davies has an amazing literary short story collection, um, bloody cheeky articles. Like if you're looking for that, Satiate that flavor; it's there. But at the same point, we also have Anne Shepard over here to the far right, who has written a rom com meets women's literature or with a literary written tone. That's a very smart piece and very good. And then over to the other side, we have Ty Carlson, who's written The Bench, which has this great debate and very science fiction, literal, literary, political, futuristic vibes. But those three, you know, those three books don't qualify in most literary judgments and book awards, only Kathleen Davies won. And it seems a little weird because there's no reason why the high potential and that high language in all three of those books can get it where it needs to go to the reader it needs to go to.
0: Okay, thank you. This is very well explained and, <laughs> and clarified. Um, and, and kind of again, following from that, I, I was intrigued uh, that you focus on series as well, as opposed to standalone novels or works. Um, you know, can you elaborate maybe on that beyond what's in the FAQ on the website about it? series? because I find it kind of a fascinating model. I mean, when you say series sell, that can sound kind of mercenary, I guess, on the surface right. as a philosophy, but it seems like it's oriented around optimizing and, and promoting the potential of your authors and, and their works, too. So, that's uh, a
2: little bit of it, Chris, that's sort of like the output or end result. The crazy. So here's the crazy thing. Um, and Erica can back this. Uh, I've worked behind the scenes as a typesetter, lead production rep at several places and freelanced. and was a contractor for publishers. But when you start to do the research, like written word <laughs> media has and book baby and book bub all have surveys and information for over 10 years. In fact, I think even dating as far back as 2017, uh, you can find these really detailed reports of what authors are making, right? What, you know, when they take all the successful authors from small press, big press, to even self-published or indie authors they look at those numbers, they take those surveys, and when the survey has not changed, even through COVID, which is crazy, <laughs> the result is always the same. If an author has a backlist of 26-plus books, and that's books that have been out for over two years plus, and they continue to release, what uh, I think it was, two to four books a year, they can make a six-digit Income. income. They can write full time, which is crazy. And that number has not changed in almost 20 years. But then you look at traditionals breakdown and they're only hiring, it's very, you know, they're only hiring or locking in, should I say, uh, authors for one book. And then it's usually a three-year contract based on the publication date. So the book's only getting about one year on the backlist end. And then you, and they have to write exclusively most of the time for that publisher. So they can't continue to produce books outside of them to feed the machine. So, and then of course, then you look at reader statistics and readers, romance readers can read five to seven novels in a week. And there's no author who can write that many, but you have to build the backlist to feed that machine a little bit. And then they eventually catch up to you. But the whole idea is this, this idea of wanting to bring back the community and also set up our authors so eventually in the long run they can fall in those stipulations in that sweet spot that all these statistics have pushed out for over 20 years um I think uh last I think it's November December they usually release it written word media said you know what does you know the author a six-figure author look like and they have these great numbers and statistics so yes yeah, Yes, we built this series and series pro setup as a company based off the research of instead of following the lead of the big guys, we're like, no, no, let's look at the statistics. Let's look at the numbers. Even Ingram reported across all their publishers, including HarperCollins, Macmillan, and ourselves in there, that 78% of profit came from the backlist.
1: And also people fall in love with the characters. And a lot of authors want to write series or multi-book. I mean, you, you even look at Stephen King. He's a multi-book author. He has written some series. But you look at Harry Potter. You look at um, Vampire Diaries. You look at Twilight. You look at, um, you know, The Court of Thorn and Rose. like People fall in love with series and fall in love with the characters. And so we give our authors the opportunity to create the world and build in it. And that doesn't mean it's always the same exact characters. Sometimes it switches different characters in their universe, but authors want to write and it's, you know, traditional publishers take sometimes up to three years to publish one book. And then maybe they want the second book from you. Maybe not. You're not allowed to write it like And that's not what the audience wants. I mean, think about um, when you last read a good book, the next thing you do is look for any other books by that author.
2: Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
1: It's terrible if they're not out there. And it's also terrible. Like we've had authors that have come to us, for instance, that right in the middle of their series that they're writing, the publisher chooses not to move forward with them anymore. So they got two books of a three to five book series out and the audience is waiting on book three and it's never going to come. We never want that to happen for our authors
2: or our readers.
0: Five to seven books a week. Wow. I, I thought I was a uh, sort of voracious reader. I don't know if that's something specific to romance as a genre.
1: Oh, romance, romance. Yeah, that's a romance specific. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in more nuts and bolts matters as opposed to philosophically which you've you uh you know you've laid out very well thank you um so what is four horsemen's origin story in the more kind of nuts and bolts infrastructure way like I'm I know that you're incorporated in Clearwater for instance but it doesn't seem like you have a central physical space and you guys are and and, um Erica you're not a Floridian I know right no not anymore but uh but you've lived a lot of places it seems like but it seems like yeah like how did this all come together though with the infrastructure the people you know the incorporation of the press like
1: so um i actually incorporated four horsemen in 2017 i had the idea and it took um meeting Val, um and we sort of i knew val at the time but sort of sitting down and going over the publishing because we met as authors i um ran a panel at megacon which is a huge convention and um i think it was in tampa or orlando i can't remember and Um, I made all the authors dress as characters for their books for the panel. And that is how I met Valerie. It was, uh, you know, sort of a clandestine forcing her to dress up like a character from her book. But, When we sat down with the nuts and bolts of it, we both, I come from a very heavy corporate, even public company background. So the legal, the HR, the process flows, like all of that stuff is sort of my wheelhouse. And then Valerie comes from the publishing side, which she has all of that background, which I don't have. So it ended up being a perfect sort of yin yang situation and in January 2020, we launched with me, Val, and our lead editor, um, Dr. Jennifer Pacat, who's a PhD in English literature, and we were the first. And we went, let's start with our books, because if we're going to mess this up, we should do it on our own. And then um, slowly it started growing. And we've gone from, at that time, there was the three of us Put, put it pushing out um, various books to joining Core Source, which is our major distributor, which is the same distributor as Macmillan and Simon and Schuster and Harper Collins and stuff like that. And that was in October of 2020. We went live with them, but when we are now up to about 115 authors, and we published almost 400 books at this point. And Um, So we now have, I believe it's 11 full-time employees. We have about 85 contractors that work for us. So we started and just moved to a, a, a way to do this scalable. I mean, that's one question we always ask ourselves is, is how we're doing this thing scalable and being able to pivot and reorganize. We are a completely remote model because um, a lot of our different employees and contractors like to work different hours and we can do that. We're not stuck in a nine to five sort of situation and it allows them the freedom and flexibility for their lives and also minimizes the amount of overhead. And one of the reasons we did core source is it's print on demand. And print on demand, a lot of people go, oh, print on demand. The big guys do print on demand. But one of the reasons we do it is because it's a sustainable model, meaning we're not going through a bunch of trees that we don't have to. We're not having a lot of gas that we don't have to use to get to an office.
2: we or taking up space someplace that doesn't need to be taken up.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that is
2: sort of how we did
1: it. And we've just every year continued to grow in 20, um, 2022, January. We launched Accomplishing Innovation Press, which is our nonfiction arm which has both academic and nonfiction books. We have some amazing um, biographies, including um, a book called uh, Sustainability Really is for Everyone. And it's a guide for businesses on how to become sustainable. And this year, um, very shortly, we're launching um, The Little Horseman, which is our children's book arm that we're super excited about. And we've partnered with a tabletop role-playing game company called Storytellers Forge um, in January of this year. And so we are doing um, tabletop role-playing games as well. So there's just continued growth and expansion for us as a publisher.
0: That's great. Wow. Thanks. So the nonfiction, I didn't see any. I probably just overlooked it on the website, but I find that... Uh... That's nice. You, the, the diversity of genres, I should repeat for everybody, that you guys, you really have to check it out, I guess, to to sort of get a uh, a real sense of, of all the kind of things you guys publish. So, um, just moving on to you guys just as artists, you're both also authors. Um, Erica, you co-host a couple podcasts, <laughs> I know of, and uh, yeah. Val, I know you also host some writing workshops around Orlando. So, I was kind of curious, just who are your influences uh, for both of you, like literarily as publishers? Are there editors, authors, people who have maybe guided you aesthetically or creatively?
1: Wow, for guiding me aesthetically. So I write um, two different genres. So under Erica Lance, I write um, horror that doesn't have happy endings. So a lot of my influences are... Um, You know, like H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Stephen King. There's a lot of horror authors that, um, you know, I read growing up. And of course, uh, movies and stuff like that had a lot of influence on me. I also write under a different pen name, which is Dahlia Lance, where I write humorous erotica. Mm -hmm. And I felt that a female positive take on erotica, just I didn't see a lot of it in books and stuff like that. So I write that. And then um yeah, I host two podcasts. So I, I'm the host of Drinking with Authors. Valerie's actually one of my co-hosts, where we have authors from this is the first time they're published to major names like Jonathan Mayberry and Melinda Snodgrass and stuff. Um who've come on, we've got, I think over 400 episodes recorded. I think we're in the 360 wow. released. Yeah. So we yeah. get to have drinks with our favorite authors and just talk about random stuff and it's tons of fun. And then this year we started Eerie Travels, which is a podcast about paranormal cryptids, ghosts, true crime, just sort of fun, weird things. And we began that this year and I'm co-hosted with Mark Muncie. So it's, it's, just it's very fun being a creative i have to say that and i'll give it over to val because val has many other names names. (laughs) she she
2: eclipses me with her writing and uh i was fortunate enough that uh when i decided to write seriously that i found a really good uh uk science fiction fantasy group uh this is back when autonomy was still a thing before it, it buckled um but for the most part at that point, when I started querying, I think my bigger, like, current influencers would be uh, Sarissa Hernandez, Lucian Diver. These are big agents in, in the industry. But I've gone to the workshops. I've been on panels with them, which is strange uh, uh, growth there. Uh, also, Amy Collins has been a big influence with her proud, um, everything she knows. It, it's just... It was a weird transition for me that happened faster than I expected. So I went from reading and going to workshops for these guys to ending up at the shows as a fellow workshopper or panelist and things like that. And their advice and their their transparency on the industry taught me quite a bit. Um, and then I started to learn where where my place was now I make the genres like nobody's business like everyone's like hey what is what is the Cedric series and I'm like oh it's it's uh they're like is it medieval is it alt history is it paranormal is it mythology is it you know uh paranormal romance and I'm like yes it's all those things <laughs> <laughs> so naturally you know when I queried that, no one wanted to touch it and then I had Suretz and a few others be like hey baby this is close this is pretty solid but it's so solid they're they don't know how to break it to make it fit a box so you're gonna have to self-publish and I was like I thought there's a big wall between self-publish and agents at the time because this is probably 2008 ish that Mm. i'm getting this strange mixture of responses um and then from there i started diving in pretty heavily and discovered you know i went to school for graphic design so typesetting i've always been a creative and a book lover so like i have influences and books you know that have 1800 style books you know of you know, bullfinch's mythology and stuff with you know, Alice in Wonderland with Arthur Rackham, or you know, uh, Erica just found a copy with Emmy Batten's work, uh, in which is another artist. So I've always sort of loved both the art, the formatting, and and writing. Um, early on, Robin McKinley taught me I can kill characters or beat them up before the end. Uh, James. Clavel made me fall in love that you could tell a totally fictional story, but it doesn't mean that the content and events are fictional. Um, and then later on, Elizabeth Kostava with the historian, like these are all authors and creatives and artists and book illustrators. Um, that just influenced me in every aspect. And I'm always hungry to learn more. And since we started doing the podcast, being able to uh, sit or get on bigger panels where I'm sitting next to authors I read, like I totally forgot my name because I was sitting next to Patricia Briggs, who I adore reading her work, you know, and it's being able to talk to some of the the greats out there. Like we got a chance to talk to David Brim, you know, before he passed mm-hmm. and all, it's just been a really incredible journey that just continues to influence and and, and inspire me. As you can see, I'm gushing. I'm
0: gushing. <laughs> yeah. oh, shout out to James Clavel. Okay, wow. I read Shogun. I think years and years ago, but yeah, I haven't heard his name in a while.
2: Jin, I loved because I was a big Japanese vibe, and and it was it lands in the
0: the of all the things. Yeah, gotcha, yeah, and David Bren, of course. Yeah, yeah. Big props there. Okay, well, where do you guys see uh, Four Horsemen? You've kind of alluded to this already with some of the things you have in the works, but in the near and long term, I mean, is there anything that you'd want listeners to know about the the press, about like where you're going that you haven't mentioned already?
1: Well, I would, you know, I would say for listeners, they should check us out because they're going to find a book to fall in love with and an author to fall in love with and a series that they'll fall in love with. We're going to just keep growing. We have, um, you know, plans to open a graphic novel portion of our business and things like that. So our goal is to continue to expand, but we're also going to a big thing for us is the community. We don't want to be the only publisher out there doing this. And we're not the only publisher out there doing this. You know, we have other publishers like Falstaff Books, and, um, you know, Orange Blossom Press, and I'm just naming a couple that are doing exactly what they're we're doing, which is changing the industry. And as a community, we hope that it continues to grow. And we want to foster it continuing to grow because it's so huge to make a difference to give readers the books that they want to read and give authors the opportunity to tell the stories that they want to tell so our goal is to keep expanding growing and we would love to you know check in with you in a couple years and you can see the difference between (laughs) now and then so for what we're attempting and continuing to do. I will not even say attempting because every goal we've set out for ourselves, we've accomplished it. So we're very excited about that. And the sky is the limit. There's People are never going to stop reading books. This isn't an industry where they're like, oh, you know, I have 50 books. I'm good. I don't need any other books. (laughs) Those those (laughs) will never happen. So we hope to keep entertaining readers out there for a very, very long time.
0: Great. Well, I will absolutely check in with you in a couple of years. And and you to, from to just to judge from your stable of authors and your website and everything. You 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 are correct. It seems to me anyway, you have succeeded wildly in your endeavors so far. Thank you.
1: Thank you, thank you very much. And thank you for having us on here. We really appreciate
0: absolutely. it. Oh, no problem. Well, Valerie Willis, Erica Lance, you are now members of the Florida Book Club.
1: Wonderful. Ooh. Yay! <laughs>
0: Thank you for attending this meeting of the Florida Book Club. You will find links to Four Horsemen Press, to the Drinking with Authors podcast, and to Erica's and Valerie's own pages on our website. If you like horror stories without happy endings, or humorous erotica, or works that might defy easy genre categorization, check them out. And keep an eye out for Little Horsemen and all the future endeavors they mention that they're working on. As we always say at Florida Book Club, Support your local independent bookstores and public libraries, and we'll remind you that indie publishers are part of that ecosystem as well. Also, if you happen to be in the Tampa Bay area this Saturday, Hooch and Hive near Julian B. Lane Park in Tampa is hosting a benefit for the Owl's Nest Sanctuary in the afternoon, called Owls and Old Fashions. Your attendance will help support the Owl's Nest, located in Odessa, Florida. There's a link to that on our website with this week's episode, too. See you at our next meeting, and maybe at the benefit this Saturday.